That's a pretty good crowd. Not bad. Huh? Not bad. Um, good morning. Where, where's Amy? Amy, glad you're here. Do you know Amy? Do I know Amy? Yeah. I'm going to begin with a story about Amy. Hold on. All right. <laughs> um, good afternoon or good morning. What is it? Morning? Is it still morning? Morning. Good. good morning. I'm Evan Smith. I'm the CEO of the Texas Tribune. You're enjoying the festival so far? You having a good time? <laughs> this is fun. This is fun. I'm glad this is working out so well, and I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm especially pleased to be joined on stage this morning by Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Democrat of El Paso, a candidate for the Democratic nomination in the U.S. Senate race in Texas in 2018. Congressman Congressman O'Rourke hopes to face off against the Republican incumbent U.S. Senator Ted Cruz in the general election a little more than a year from now. This is Congressman O'Rourke's third term in the U.S. House, where he sits on the Armed Services and Veteran Affairs Committees. He was first elected to the 16th Congressional District seat in 2012 after defeating a veteran House member and chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Sylvester Reyes, in the Democratic primary. Previously, Congressman O'Rourke served two terms on the El Paso City Council and ran an internet services and software company. Sometime before that, he played in a punk rock band. I think we'll do like 40 minutes on the punk rock band okay. Okay, today. A native of El Paso, the congressman has an undergraduate degree from Columbia University. Please join me in welcoming the Honorable Beto O'Rourke. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Good to be with Thanks. you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's where your wife comes into the story. Great. So a little more than a year ago, you and your wife and I were sitting in a bar in El Paso which I understood to be completely off the record before you say anything else, so, uh, but, but please si continue. As we say in the media business, I'm characterizing it. Yes. I'm not actually saying what happened, but. We, we, we were, do you remember the bar? The Tap. The Tap. tap Anybody been Paso. to the Tap in El Paso? Yeah. One, one fan. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody drinks anymore, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, and we had a conversation about the possibility, prospect of somebody making a Senate race and the conversation very quickly went to what is undeniably the reality, which is it's a red state. If you're a Democrat running for statewide office today, it's an uphill battle. We talked about the uphill battle that anyone, not just you, but anyone might face in such a race. Have you changed your mind about the fact that this race is an uphill battle based on the last year plus? I don't think I've changed my mind uh, about uh, how tough the odds are or how difficult this will be or the challenge that's in front of us, but, but what has happened over the last six months uh, since Amy and I announced in El Paso on, on March 31st is we have met tens of thousands of our fellow Texans all over this state who are so incredibly inspiring and committed and determined to ensure that we make the most of this moment and that all of us are committed to being able to pull together for the things that matter most when everything is on the line. And, and yes, we see that in Austin, and we see it in Dallas, and we see it in Houston, and in San Antonio, in the Rio Grande Valley, in El Paso. Uh, but we also see it in Sherman, and Lufkin, and Longview, and Texarkana, and Pearland, in Galveston, in Wichita Falls, in Henrietta, in Booker, in Dalhart, in Canyon, in Pampa, in Amarillo, in Pecos, in Odessa, in Midland, in Abilene, in Big Spring. Um, 
we, we, we see it everywhere. And, and beyond the, the, the campaign aspect of this and whether we see our chances improving, it has been the encouragement on a personal level right. uh, that, that Amy and I have needed because we could all be forgiven for questioning where this country was going on November 8th uh, of this past year and whether we were going to get it back. Uh, and I'm confident after having met so many people in Texas that we will. So yeah. I don't know what the odds look like. I feel a lot better about things after having done this. Well, so this, this actually answers the next question I was going to ask you. Why, why, why are you doing this? And the reason you're doing it is because you believe. You believe that there's something to be done or work to be done and that it is without regard to yeah. the outcome eventually you think it's important to at least have the conversation. We got to win, uh, if that's what you're asking me. I, mean, I wouldn't be doing this if, if we weren't going we to try to win. Um, you know, Amy and I uh, literally had this conversation that I think so many other parents have had in this room. If, if you're like us, um, your kids have become your conscience. And we know that our, our 10-year-old Ulysses or our 9-year-old Molly or our 6-year-old Henry uh, at some time down the road, maybe it's a year from now, maybe yeah. it's five, are going to ask us what we did when everything was on the line for this country. Not just the fact that they proposed to build a 30-foot-high, 2,000-mile-long wall from Brownsville to San Diego at a time of record security on the border. Not just that we have a proposal to ban Muslims and refugees from a country that is comprised of immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers from the world over, and that is the source of our strength and our security and our success. Not just that the press have been named the enemy of the people. Uh, all the things that we want to do moving forward, not just stopping the wall, but using Texas's unique experience to rewrite our immigration laws in the best interests and values and experience of this state, to make sure that healthcare is no longer a function of luck, but is a human right that every single Texan and American can count on. And that the basic, the, the basic dignity of work is something that every single Texan should be able to find, that purpose and function in their lives, the ability to earn above a living wage, to provide for themselves, their family, their community, their state, this country. We saw post-Harvey, everyone wants to pitch in and help, and they want to help one another when the need is clear, when the opportunity is before them. Yeah. And I think Texans generally feel that way about their state, about their neighbors, and about the future of this country. And so that's, that, that is the articulation of why you're running. Those are some of the things that you care about, right? The, the, the meat and potatoes of why you're running is you announced when you ran the first time, I'm going to be term limited. Yeah. You had a choice to make. I mean, you could have served the rest of... Uh, of those four terms, provided you got elected the next time, and then you were committed to honoring the pledge you made to, right. to your folks. But you did not pledge to return back to El Paso and get out of politics. You simply pledged not to serve more than four terms in the House. That's right. Yeah. You, you think we have a career politician problem in this country? Absolutely. I mean, I presume if you're talking about term limits, it must be in response to the idea that people serve for too long. So perhaps like many of you, um, before I was elected and sworn in to serve in Congress, uh, I thought everyone up there was a bum. Uh, how else to explain the uh, frustration we feel, the dysfunction, uh, the fact that Congress, when polled by the American public, is uh, just below uh, communism, just ahead of gonorrhea uh, on, on, the, on the spectrum. And um, we joke, but the, the gonorrhea... Gonorrhea gets a bad rap. Yeah. And, and the political action committee for gonorrhea is really spending to make sure that we... Right, yeah. Yeah, 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 they um, shouldn't be taking PAC money either, as it turns out. 
But, but here's, so, so the surprise when I got up there was actually most of the people with whom I serve are, are incredibly decent, good people. And they ran for the right reasons. And they're serving to try to make the lives of their constituents and their fellow Americans right. better. So what, what explains um, the, the disconnect? It, it is because that place, that institution, and the people within it have become so obsessed with their own reelection and the means to that reelection, which very often have them in front of political action committees and corporations and special interests who have the business before those members' committees of jurisdiction, creating a very obvious appearance, if not actual conflict of interest. It explains how that institution has become so captured so corroded, so corrupted. It's not that those are bad people. That's the system into which they were elected and in which they are trying to get so if, reelected. If I, yeah. so, so yes, we have a reelection problem. The, the right. rate of reelection for a member of Congress over the last 50 years is 93%. Congress looks nothing like this room here today. If we want it to be more reflective, we've got to introduce term limits. We've got to take corporate money out of the halls of Congress, and we have to end racial gerrymandering in the state of Texas. That's the way we get it back. If You, you have pledged to live under what you've just said in part by saying, I'm not going to take PAC money. We're going to, you know, we're going to do this as cleanly as possible and all that. Right. If I went back and looked at every contribution that you received running for Congress, would I find any money from people who had business before you or the committees on which you serve? I don't know. I mean, is, is the honest answer. I'll, I'll give you an example. So, but, but if it turned out that the answer was yes, when did you have that moment of conversion because now you're proselytizing on behalf of not taking money that might be conflicted, yeah. but you yourself don't know whether you took money that was conflicted before. Well, I think the very fact that I don't know removes the conflict. I mean, I don't, I don't have uh, somebody who can say, I gave you money uh, in your election and I've got uh, a proposal before the House Armed Services Committee to fund this weapon system and I want you to vote for it. Right. I've never had that, that phone call, but what I did have is after we won that long shot bid in 2012 to unseat Sylvester Reyes, where, where almost no PAC uh, in their right mind would give us a check. It, we made a virtue yeah. out of a necessity. Uh, upon election, the, the PAC checks just rolled in unsolicited. Everybody likes a winner on the late train, right? Absolutely. And so I, yep. I thought, hey, this is great. Uh, I don't have to make as many fundraising calls. Um, uh, where our campaign is supported, I can focus on my job, meet my colleagues, get some shit done. That was that was kind of the 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 idea, and uh, and then I had this moment uh, where I had a lunch with a political action committee who wanted to make sure that I understood their issues, which I was happy to do. And at uh, some point, they gave me a ten thousand dollar political action committee check. This was probably four plus years ago. Then we had a vote on the floor of a house and there was an amendment that would have provided some additional support to this industry and this lobby. And for a second, the thought flashed across my mind, why would I want to piss these guys off? They don't have business in my community. It's a couple million dollars to the national treasury out of a $1.2 trillion budget. Who's going to notice the difference? And if I vote their interests, those checks are going to continue to roll in to the campaign. And of course, I wouldn't tell you this story if I had voted yes for their interests. I voted right. no. Right. Uh, but the fact that I even for a split second thought right. about that uh, contributed to, you're asking me my road to Damascus moment, that was it. I said, I cannot be any part of this. And so for the last 
three plus, maybe four years, right. we haven't taken PAC contributions. So on the House Armed Services Committee, am I voting Raytheon's interest, Northrop Grumman's interest, Boeing's interest, or the interest of the United States citizens? It's always the latter, each and every do, single Do you time. assume those interests are necessarily, every time, not the same interest? I mean, I'm not assuming that not they are. Yeah. But are you penalizing corporate entities for the simple fact of being corporate entities? I mean, may, aren't there maybe times when those interests and the public's interest might be aligned? Sure. Are you overcorrecting? Yeah. Here's, here's the way I look at it. Um, there, there is a... Because mass- otherwise you're demonizing all corporations and saying that anybody with business before the Congress is automatically bad no, by I, virtue I didn't of being a corporation. I, I think what I'm saying is that anybody who has business before the Congress and is able to purchase access... It's and that, ultimately, it's that part of it. and ultimately, that part of it. outcomes. Right. Th- that that is that's the definition of corruption in my, in my book. Uh, yeah. And it's an unwitting corruption on the part of members of Congress who who again take that money for the best of reasons. I'm going to get reelected so I can do these things that I promised to my constituents. And the way Lawrence Lessig has put it, issues one through ten. You'll never be compromised on. These are the, your core convictions, the things that you believe, right. the reason that you ran. But we will vote on 1,200 items in a given session of Congress. So issues 11 through 1,200 are, are open to some kind of influence by the access right. that has been purchased right. and the outcome that that sometimes right. buys. That, that's what's going on. That explains the deep frustration that we all feel in that institution. So those three things, if we can introduce some urgency, which I think will form some political will by having a finite number of years that anyone can serve, which by the way, reinforces our belief in each other. If I believe in you, then I should be able to serve no more than say two terms in the Senate and then get the hell out of the way and find someone who can do just as good, more likely a better job than I can and will bring their own life experiences, their perspective, their background to bear on the unique problems and opportunities in the country. If we can end gerrymandering where members of Congress choose their voters instead of the other way around and if we can end unaccountable corporate money and special influences in the Congress, we will have an institution that is functional, that's reflective of the people that it purports to serve and we will have outcomes deserving of the American Are public. you committing right now, sitting here, based on what you said, that you will serve two terms in the Senate and that's it? Absolutely. If, if fortunate enough to be elected to serve the people of Texas and then to be re-elected after six years, I would serve no more two, than two, two terms. Two and out. So I want to come back to this question of not accepting PAC money. What exactly does this mean? Who specifically, precisely, are you not taking money from? I want to understand. I want to get below the branding of you as the candidate who won't take... Uh, uh, p- polluted money, and I want to understand exactly what that means. Who will you not take money from? I won't take money from any organization that is organized as a political action committee. They uh, harness um, donors into massive donations yeah. um, that purchase access and, and influence. So, so anyone, and so someone asked me the other day, well, Bethel, why don't you take from, from good PACs? Um, and and I, don't, I don't know how you, how you define it. That is a, a slippery slope, and, and you start to slip, and then yep. you begin to slide, and then you're back where everyone else is. If I can bust through the cynicism that you legitimately have right. for Congress and for this institution, and why Texas, I would argue with you, is not a red state. It is a non-voting state. People just don't think that their well, vote matters or it counts. We're, 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 both, we're both right, though. The, the reality is we're both right. It's a red state by virtue of it being a non-voting state. It may not be a red state forever. It also may not be a non-voting state forever. But yeah. for the moment, that's both right. Well, but let me come back to this PAC question. You assume PACs are bad. You don't want to take PAC money. 
How about individuals who want to influence members of Congress? There are rich people in El Paso, like there are rich people around Texas, and they may want to write you checks. Why are you only not taking PAC money? Why not take money from any rich person? Yeah. Um, so essentially we have. We've taken money from anybody who wants to contribute to this campaign. But, but know this. Uh, when we outraised the, the sitting junior U.S. senator by $500,000 last quarter, not only did we do it without any PAC contributions, and not only did we do it against somebody who has a massive national fundraising base, because remember, when he was in this position of public trust where he was supposed to be serving Texas, he was in Iowa, he was in New Hampshire, he was in South Carolina, he was in Nevada campaigning for a, another office. Despite all that, we outraised him, and we did it on average 44 dollars a time. Uh, and most of it came from Texas, and it came 61,000 times over. So I don't know how you parse all of those separate donors and find that one person who's going to try to purchase access or time with you. Right. Anyone who's worked with me, anyone who has spoken to me knows that I will speak, talk to, and most importantly, listen and try to understand anyone. And that's why I'm showing up to places like Palestine and Paris and Longview and Lufkin. We're not holding fundraisers necessarily in those communities. We're there to listen and represent and be accountable and responsible. So, so I want to come to the red community strategy, as it were, because it is interesting and novel. But last, last question on this, money, on this money issue. So the Cruz campaign, as you correctly point out, is not putting any such limits on itself. It will take PAC money, as far as I know, and it will take money from wealthy individuals. It is not mutually disarming as it relates to campaign finance. Correct. My question is, are there going to be people who say, I appreciate the fact that he's honest, but I'm worried that he's dumb? Because... <laughs> He's, he, the, the concern I have is that he's putting himself at an incredible disadvantage. In the absence of mutual disarmament, all he's doing is disarming when the other guy is arming. Right. So what about, you, you would rather lose honorably or you'd rather be at a disadvantage honorably. You understand he's not going to follow you down that path. We're in this to win. Um, so there, there's no, there's no uh, interest in losing yeah. in any way, honorably or otherwise. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you keep pivoting my question away from me. No, but yeah. I'll answer your question. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so uh, I think you know us well enough, and, and we've got some friends here who, who know Amy and I pretty well. Um, this, this, this decision to run to represent the state of Texas in the U.S. Senate was not the most rational um, decision. It definitely wasn't poll tested. We didn't hire uh, a consultant. We didn't have a team of advisors who told us how we were going to slice and dice the electorate. Uh, Amy just turned to me and said, we got to do something better uh, and let's get after it. Why don't you go travel the state, meet people, find out if there's the interest and the energy to right. make something happen. And we have continued that, this campaign in, in that same way. And our faith in people, not corporations, our belief in Texans and only Texans has paid off. I mean, outraising Cruz, being in a Texas Lyceum poll in April, tied with him, 30% uh, each with 40% of the state still undecided, and then busting our tail to visit each and every single part of the state many times over to yep. listen and meet and be with the people. I don't know if that's the right way to run a campaign. I don't, I don't have somebody that we pay who tells us whether or not that's the right way to run a campaign. It feels like the right way right. to run a campaign, and it feels like the way that we're going to win. So you, so you you talked earlier about you gave a long list of communities you've been to. Most of those have There's not... There's more. I can keep Well, going. I have... The, I, one. <laughs> yeah. the festival is only one weekend, so I don't know that we can actually go through the list. 
Um, but, but, but you listed a lot of communities where, A, there are not a ton of Democratic voters, or at least Democrats who vote. There may be Democrats who don't vote, right. but not Democratic voters. And B, where Democrats typically don't go looking for votes. Right. You don't spend a lot of productive time if you're a statewide Democratic candidate in the modern era campaigning in Dalhart. It just doesn't happen. Right. You've chosen to go. Talk a bit about that and talk a bit about what you've seen, because yeah. I think that's an interesting strategy. It's a bit of a long ball strategy, but you're trying to turn people's attention away from their predictable voting patterns. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm trying to do a, a good job of understanding the interests, um, the needs, the opportunities that people throughout this state um, see in their own lives. And, and unless I take the time to, to be there, uh, to pay the common courtesy and respect of showing up and listening, how in the world will I ever know? We were in Hondo, Texas, uh, a, a community that, that voted for Trump, but that's unimportant. Uh, having a, a meeting at a restaurant, Amy, you might remember the name of it, and 75 people showed up. Uh, and I don't know if that's good or bad or, or otherwise, but the person organizing the meeting said, we haven't been able to bring 75 people together in Hondo, Texas around a civic or yep. political issue in my recent memory. And if I had not come to that meeting, I wouldn't have met the woman who drove from Uvalde to see us to share the story of her mother who had worked for Dairy Queen in Uvalde for 29 years, uh, was an assistant manager at that Dairy Queen, didn't have health insurance for a day of her working life, and so they caught her cancer too late. She was dead before her family knew what was going on. And that woman had driven to implore me to ensure that she and her children and everyone else in this community was gonna be able to look forward to the day that healthcare was a right and not a privilege. That stuck with me, it's why I'm telling you the story right now, I never would have known that had I not gone you didn't to Hondo. Go to Hondo right, yeah. If we hadn't gone to uh, Wichita Falls um, and, and packed the house, and, and the surprise when we packed the house in places like Wichita Falls that voted for Trump, 70% plus, is uh, not that Beto O'Rourke has shown up. It's as people look around, they're like, what the hell are you doing here? I thought, <laughs> I, I thought you were a, a Republican or I didn't think that you voted or you told me elections didn't matter anymore. We are 15, we are 16 months before the election and you're here. And um, that, yeah. that is, that's why I tell you this has been the most inspiring, encouraging thing right. outside of family that I have ever done. But if we hadn't gone to Wichita Falls, then the next morning when I found myself at the Stewart Sweet Shop in Henrietta, Texas, this beautiful family would not have tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you Beto O'Rourke? Because they get the news from Wichita Falls in Henrietta. They asked me to sit down, each one of them a Republican, the dad says, I want to make sure that you don't take away the Affordable Care Act because it's the only way I can afford to see the doctor, to get the medications, to be well. And before I can answer him and tell him we're on the same page, his wife's elbowing me and she says, I'm a public school teacher. And if you let Betsy DeVos take my hard-earned tax dollars and put them in a private school in the form of a voucher, Beto, I'm going to come find you and hunt you down and I'm going to yeah. get you. So um, yeah. that's, that's how we meet these folks. Yeah. That's how we meet these folks. Um, I want to I turn the conversation back to Senator Cruz for a second. So you articulated one theory of the case against Senator Cruz is that his eyes have not been on Texas. They've been on other things. Right. Stipulated, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Substantively, what has been wrong with Senator Cruz's representation of the state? Substantively, where do you, where, I, 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 want you to make, I want you to make a thoughtful argument yeah. against Senator Cruz because honestly, you're running to win, but elections are not referendums, they're choices. And you, it's gonna be you versus him, theoretically. And I yeah. wanna understand what is the case against him? Make it. Yeah. So uh, I'm in Waco, Texas uh, a few weeks ago, 
And uh, as we do with every visit, it, it's, a, it's a town hall. Yep. I'll speak for a little bit, and then, and then without filter, um, without screening, it uh, doesn't matter. No me importa if you're Republican, uh, Democrat, Independent, or if you don't vote. Folks come up to the microphone, ask questions, yep. uh, give us suggestions, maybe level a criticism or two about uh, you know, what we've done in the House or, or how we're running the campaign. Um, and sometimes, as I did in Waco, I'll say, well, well, tell me how Ted Cruz answered that question when he held a town hall in your community. <laughs> and everywhere, it doesn't matter if I am in Waco, if I am in Lufkin, if I'm in Amarillo, if I'm in McAllen, it is met by laughter because he has not shown up to listen to those that he says he is representing and serving every single month in El Paso without fail. We have an all comers, no holds bar, open town hall meeting in a public place where hundreds of people come out and they're not always fun and they're not always easy. Yep. But you know what? It introduces a healthy fear in my mind as I vote and as I work to serve those constituents because I know I'm gonna have to face them eyeball to eyeball back in my hometown and account for what I have done and what I have failed to do. That has made me a much better representative. And that has forced me not just to talk about, but to actually reach across and work with people on the other side of the aisle to introduce legislation to make access to mental health care for veterans better. The only way I could do that was with a Republican colleague. To introduce legislation to reform our broken immigration system, I did that with a Republican colleague. To introduce a bill with John Cornyn, the Republican senior senator from the state of Texas, to improve capacity and funding at our ports of entry, to facilitate more legitimate trade, travel, and tourism at our ports so that we see the border not as a threat to be walled off, not as a source of anxiety, but as an opportunity, economic, cultural, and otherwise. That is the contrast for you, okay? Let's not talk about personalities just on what we've been able to get but, done, but this is the not... way that we work, the way that we serve our constituents. You could not have a clearer, better choice but, 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 between the two of us. But Congressman, this is again, not really a substantive argument in the sense that what you're saying is he doesn't represent his people accurately. I wanna get down to the nitty gritty of issues. Well, Where tell do me you... something that he's done. Well, why don't we talk about, let's yeah. talk about issues. Yeah. Look, yeah. I, I don't know how to answer the question. Um, I want to I wa I wanna get to differences on issues because, again, this is a choice. And I want to understand where you and the senator may not be aligned. I mean, we're not voting for two people who agree on the same things. Only one represents his state and the other right. only pretends to. Right. We're talking about substantive differences that would theoretically make a difference in the lives of the people you'd represent. Yeah. So on health care, you've said several times you believe health care is a right. Yes, you would not be a vote for Graham Cassidy to the degree that it's still on life support even in the Senate. You would not be a vote for appeal and replace if you go to the United States Senate. Correct. Yeah. Graham Cassidy, uh, the estimate is 2.8 million Texans, almost 3 million of us, lose our health care with Graham Cassidy. 175,000 Texans yep. would lose their jobs. And those lucky enough to have insurance, because if you have insurance today, let's be honest with each other, it's, it's a function of luck. Where you happen to work, uh, how much money you have in your checking account, the fact that you can afford those premiums, those premiums go up $4,000 a year for average Texans under Graham Cassidy. It is uh, it is terrible for, for Texas, so absolutely not. And in uh, fact, no form of repeal and replace of the Affordable Care Act would be acceptable to you. I'll tell you, beyond meeting this amazing woman in Hondo that, that I told you about, or the woman in Houston who was actually from Austin, but she was at MD Anderson, took the shuttle where she's receiving treatment for stage four cancer to meet me at that event and look me also in the eye and say, I want to make sure that I can continue to depend on healthcare because I am trying to live right yeah. now and I don't want to worry about a repeal and a replace Separate. I want you to strengthen what we already have and make sure that more people have access to health care. So, no, let's not just stop 
Graham Cassidy, let's not just stop this 70th effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, which has ensured that millions more Americans can see a doctor, are living, are back on their feet. Let's expand that. Let's expand Medicaid in the state of Texas. Let's have a... Well, in fact, you just announced, did you not? You, you, you just announced a four-part plan the other day on this subject, expanding Medicaid in the state of Texas, which... Speaking of uphill battles, at least at the moment, is, is, is one piece, but you also talked about something similar to Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All legislation, yeah. right? You're for, yeah. you're, you're for actually going kind of to the wall on this. I'm, I'm for every single American being able to see a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist right. when they need to, uh, able to afford medications, right. able to continue to go to school, yep. find that job, pursue their career, live to their full potential, and you can't do those things if you're not healthy. You can't take care of your family right. if you're not healthy. And you need to be able to have insurance to be healthy or to be able to see a doctor. The only way, and, and I'm not a, a genius on the issue, but I'll tell you, the only way after looking at this for five years of being in the house that you get to that point is to have a system like Medicare, but for everybody in the United States, a single right. payer. So doctors aren't negotiating with insurance companies. They're focusing on making on sure people. that their patients are getting better so that we don't have the highest prescription drug costs in the world. Though we pay for drugs for veterans in the VA, military retirees in TRICARE, uh, Medicare and Medicaid enrollees, we don't use that bargaining power and that leverage to bring the drug prices down. Who knows, maybe it has something to do with our PAC conversation uh, earlier, but, but until we get to a system like this one, uh, we're going to continue to have too many people yeah. suffering too much, lives lived too short, expenses too high, outcomes uh, much worse than the rest of the developed world. We, we've got to do the right thing. Right. And I tell you, it's not, it's not the long shot uh, politically that you think it is. I think the people are well ahead of the politicians on this one, and we will get there right. sooner, sooner so, than later. So this is something This is something you and the senator disagree on and would be the stuff of a debate during a campaign. How about uh, DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program? Texas yeah. is second only to California in the number of DACA-eligible residents. Uh, your feeling about the DACA program is what? We've, we've got to make this the law of the land. The, the 800,000 dreamers, the 200,000 of them who live in the state of Texas, who came here at a young age are every bit as American as you or I or our kids, who are contributing to the success of our communities, should be able to continue to be here to fulfill their potential, to contribute, not take from yep. the American dream. And the only way we do that is to pass the DREAM Act, which, as you know, has bipartisan support. Ted Cruz on the campaign trail when he was not in Texas, but out in the rest of the country pursuing the Republican nomination for the presidency, talked about deporting dreamers. That's the contrast that you're looking for. I want them to be in this country and to be successful and to be part of America's success. He wants them to be returned to their country of origin where they probably don't speak the language, where they don't have family, where if they are successful against those odds, that success and benefit is going to accrue to another place, not to Texas, not to the United States of America. This is the same guy who during that same campaign was talking about having local police patrol Muslim American neighborhoods. This is a guy who views our connection with Mexico with anxiety and paranoia, uh, a threat, um, not, not something that we can capitalize on, not opportunity, not our hope for the future. Well, the extension of that, uh, uh, Congressman, is the border security conversation, yeah. which we've had many times in the context of your service in El Paso because you feel aggrieved on behalf of El Pasoans when people talk about how unsafe the border is 
and how unsafe border communities are. You believe, in fact, that rhetoric is out of sync with the reality of life along the border. And as you know, the wall conversation is one active conversation. The deportation conversation is one. In Texas, we're now spending for the second consecutive budget cycle $800 million on, on border security. Um, and then NAFTA is another conversation that we're, we're effectively in the on-deck circle yeah. of having. So talk a little bit about where you believe you and the senator are different on the question of the border. So the, the conversation right now uh, from those in, in leadership positions in the state, um, from certainly our junior senator in, in the Senate, is, uh, I think, uh, a, a, a petty one uh, that's focused on our, our differences that, that has no reflection of the strength and the confidence and the courage that I think is, is our rightful heritage. Um, this, this is the state that has the most to gain or to lose based on what we do going forward when it comes to immigration or when it comes to our relationship with Mexico. Uh, you know this, but for those who don't, um, the border with Mexico has never been more secure and safe than it is today. El Paso, Texas is one of the very safest cities in the United States of America, and it's not in spite of the fact that it's conjoined with Ciudad Juarez and forms the largest binational community in the hemisphere. It's not in spite of the fact that 24% of the people that I represent in Congress from El Paso were born in another country. Our security, our safety, our success is inextricably connected with those who made the choice to come to this country, who are contributing to our success. We want more of that, not less. If immigration is a problem, it's the best possible problem the state of Texas and the United States of America could have. And so, we, we, we can, in the face of those facts, uh, build a $25 billion, 2,000 mile long, 30 foot high poured concrete monstrosity. We can conduct these immigration raids or pass these show me your papers SB4 bills that turn local cops and sheriff's deputies into federal immigration enforcement officers who are going to have to decide based on the color of your skin or the accent with which you speak whether or not they're going to demand that you show them your papers or the alternate universe that we could all decide we're going to live in is one in which Texas takes the lead nationally in rewriting our immigration laws based on that success that we see here in Austin and El Paso throughout the state of immigrants contributing to the best in us. When I was in Booker, Texas, which is about as far north as you can get yeah. and still be in Texas, um, I was surprised as I went door to door with Amy to hear people telling me that they were concerned about immigration. I would expect that in McAllen. Well, you don't Maybe. want Oklahomans here. I mean, that's probably that's the right. Place to go. <laughs> that's right. I, I don't know yeah. if you've heard, but OU sucks. I don't know if you actually know that. But, <laughs> but, 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 but here, was, here, here was the story that they told me, because I was surprised. Yeah. Didn't, didn't necessarily expect it in, in Booker, Texas, in, in the panhandle. Uh, the, the salutatorian from Booker High School had just been deported. And they knew that this young man in whom they had invested so much in his K-12 through education, in the quality of life, in Booker, Texas, in the nurturing that he was given by that community, just as he was about to produce a return on that, yep. um, to look at the, the self-interest of that community, uh, as he was about to complete his educational career, come back and start a business, create jobs, write the next great American novel, 
um, he was being deported back to his country of origin. And they really, truly were concerned and worried about him on a personal level. And I don't know if they were Republicans or Democrats or independents. Statistically, they were probably Republicans. But to a person, each one of them got it. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you give Texans the opportunity, the chance to do the right thing, they're going to be there for each other each and every time. I saw it in Booker. I saw it in Port Arthur, in right. Beaumont, in Nome, in Orange, in Port Lavaca in Rockport, in Victoria, <laughs> in every community that we visited after Harvey where people right. were just doing everything they could to be there for each other, to help yep. one another get back on their feet. That is the spirit of Texas. It's not petty. It's not paranoid. It's not anxious. It's bold. It's strong. It's big-hearted. It's yep. confident. That's who we are. And we meet every single challenge and opportunity. That way, we are going to be a successful state. I mentioned healthcare. I mentioned DACA. And I mentioned the border, I could go on with a number of other issues. All of those are issues on which you not only may disagree, likely disagree with Senator Cruz, you also disagree with the president. Is there anything that you agree with the president on, Congressman O'Rourke? I'm going to play that brief New York Times op-ed page game, say something nice about the president. You notice they stopped doing that after a couple of times. Um, but, but seriously, I mean, do you, is there anything on which you agree with the president or agree with Senator Cruz as opposed to simply disagree? When I was running for Congress in 2012 and knocking on doors and, and listening to those whom I wanted to represent, uh, in that process I learned that El Paso was doing a terrible job of meeting its commitment to our veterans. It turns out we had the longest wait time for a veteran in El Paso to see a mental health care provider in the country. Um, out of 153 VA mental health care systems, we were 153rd. And that is in the midst of a veteran suicide crisis where we're losing 20 veterans a day. So when I got to Congress and was sworn in, the committee I asked to serve on was a House Veterans That's Affairs true. Committee. And I rocketed right up to the top of leadership, not because uh, of anything that I brought to the job, but because there are no PACs and special interests served on that committee. Just veterans, right? Perhaps the most important constituency that we could be there for. And so I have made access to mental health, reducing veteran suicide in this country and in El Paso a priority. And so I was incredibly pleased that Donald Trump nominated, and the Senate confirmed 100 to 0, David Shulkin to be our next VA secretary. He is perhaps the best person so you agree on that? Who, who could be in that job, and right. the president has given him right. wide latitude to uh, implement the reforms necessary right. to cut through the red tape to make sure that more veterans are getting access to mental health care. We went from 68 full-time mental health care providers in the El Paso VA to today we have 106. And it is in part because David Shulkin has made it a priority. Okay, so that's good. to the president, I am grateful for that decision because it has meant that we're saving lives, right. fulfilling our commitment or obligation to veterans in El Paso and throughout the country. So let's, let's talk about, and we're going to go here shortly to questions, not immediately, but shortly. And there are microphones in the aisles. I'll encourage you to line up and we'll get to as many as we can in the time we have. An argument is going to be made against you, and not you exclusively, because this is Texas and this is what we tend to do. No matter who the Democratic candidate is on the ballot at any race, the opponent of the Republican is Nancy Pelosi. Right. On the day you announced your candidacy for Senate, the very sparky social media team of Senator Ted Cruz bought a Snapchat filter that showed you as a puppet of Nancy Pelosi. And in fact, again, not just the Senate race, but in every race, whoever the Democrat is running, Nancy Pelosi is the opponent. You want to own Nancy Pelosi for this race? Um, let me tell you, uh, I, 
especially after having been elected and having the opportunity to serve with her, I, I'm so impressed uh, by her leadership. You have kind words for her. Absolutely, for, for what she has done, um, what, what she has done for this country. We talk about how imperfect the Affordable Care Act, and, and it certainly is, and there are 4.3 million Texans who still yeah. are uninsured, and there are millions more across the United States, but there are so many millions of Americans who, but for Nancy Pelosi and her leadership, would not have not healthcare today. She's an extraordinary So if she wants, leader. she calls you and she says, Beto, I wanna to come to Texas to campaign with you during the Senate race, what are you gonna say? Well, let me tell you this, um, I called her uh, last year, yep. and I said, leader, um, I, I am so grateful for, for what you have done for this country, what you've done in this position of leadership. I cannot support you uh, for being our, our next leader going forward. I, as you know, I believe in term limits. I believe in having some faith in new leadership coming forward. And having somebody who's been in that position for 14 plus years now is locking up talent and opportunity and leadership for this country. So it does nothing to diminish the respect with which I hold uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but it does say that I have a lot of faith in other people who are in these positions of trust who can do more with that. Right. Uh, and, and so, no, I don't want Nancy Pelosi to come to Texas to campaign with me. I don't want anybody from outside of Texas to come to Texas. So Bar to you don't, Barack Obama wants to campaign, campaign with you. I just want to campaign with Texans. You don't want Barack Obama to campaign with you. You don't I, want Bill Clinton to campaign with you. You know what? Uh, when I was running for, for the House uh, against Sylvester Reyes, Bill Clinton came to El Paso, Texas, packed the county coliseum in a rally for the incumbent, the guy who was outspending me four to one, who when you polled the race, I wasn't gonna even make it into the runoff. Bill Clinton, the most popular Democrat alive at the time. And then that was followed up two weeks later with a screaming banner headline on the El Paso Times, President Obama tells El Paso to support Reyes. Um, you know, I don't know that those two endorsements made any difference in the world. Uh, as well, I would tell, say they didn't. <laughs> as, as, as you can tell, uh, what, what is exciting to me, um, the way that I want to campaign, the, yeah. the fortunes to which we've, we've hitched uh, our efforts uh, are, are those of the Texans that, that we want to represent. So um, you can have Barack Obama come in and tell you who to vote. And if you're going to make your decisions that way, God bless you. You're just going to stick but, with but Texans. I'd rather, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather right. you have right. a chance to, to meet me, right. talk with me, question me, find out if I'm going to be the person who's going to fight for your interests in the Senate. And if so, then I have earned your support. No one else has told you to do it from outside Let, let me ask you about another thing that I know the Cruz campaign has started to do and will do, and that is to campaign against your youthful indiscretions. I'm going to ask you about this, not because yeah. it's news. In fact, every single news story about you reports this, and I want to give you an opportunity to answer it. Thank you. When you were 25 years old, you got a DUI. You're now in yeah. your 40s. It's a long time ago. Yeah. When you were much younger, you got a breaking and entering uh, arrest that was really you just hopping the fence, wasn't it? And yeah. the charge was dismissed. Right. But you know that somewhere right now, the Cruz campaign is recruiting actors on Craigslist who are tall and have floppy hair <laughs> to play you in the reenactment of yeah. the breaking and entering. So I want you to tell people why those things should not be a factor in this race. Or, or, or don't tell people that they shouldn't be a factor. Yeah. Tell them they should be a factor. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's up to you. 
Uh, it, it really is, and I, I trust, I, I trust your, your judgment and the decision that, that you're going to make, and you are owed uh, the facts and knowing this about me. Uh, yeah, when I was a senior in college, uh, I had an arrest for attempted uh, burglary. I jumped a fence at the University of Texas at El Paso, which is a very stupid thing to do and is against the law, and I absolutely should have been arrested, and I was. Uh, a few years later, I, I did something that is unspeakably uh, stupid and extraordinarily poor judgment and for which uh, there is no good explanation. I, I drove after I'd had too much to drink and uh, I was pulled over and arrested as I should have been. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a whole bunch more to add to that. That was, I, I don't have a good excuse uh, or an explanation for, for having done You fully that. expect this is but, going to come up, right? But, in the absolutely. But I'll tell you, um, you know, in, if, if that was in 1998, then in, in the, you know, um, you know, what is that, 19, 19 years? 19 years. Since then, uh, I've done my best um, to, uh, to, to be as productive uh, and as good a person as I possibly can be. The, the purest expression of that is in the fact that Amy would uh, marry me uh, and, 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 uh, and um, start this amazing family with me. We're going to celebrate our, our 12th anniversary. Um, uh, we're actually going to have dinner tonight uh, to, to celebrate 12 years together. That, that, I've, that I've been able to start a business yep. in El Paso, um, give people an opportunity um, to work in high-skill, high-wage jobs that you typically wouldn't expect to find uh, necessarily in El Paso, Texas, that I serve my community on the El Paso City Council and in a number of nonprofit volunteer positions on boards and commissions, and yep. that uh, we together as a family are, are making the sacrifice to serve our community in Congress. But I absolutely have made yep. uh, mistakes, and, and some of them very grave. And I think people um, uh, are owed uh, that, that story and, and should make a decision you know, based on, on the complete story. But let me, let me conclude with this, Evan, um, because I'll also tell you I've been extraordinarily lucky. Um, I really fucked up, and, and, and I, really, I really made uh, a, a huge mistake. But, but, but look at what I have been able to do in my life since then. There are so many people that I have met along the campaign trail who have made a mistake from which they have never been able to recover. When I was in Vitaville, uh, and uh, walking, walking that neighborhood in Wichita Falls, and people were answering the door, and the first thing they'd tell me is, do not waste your breath. As soon as they understood that I was running for office, I have a felony, uh, I can't vote, I can't get a loan to go to school, nobody will hire me, um, uh, the world and life is done with me. And I met person after person after person in Vitaville, and I know that there are hundreds of thousands more across the state of Texas. Uh, everyone should deserve that next chance to yep. improve their lives, to contribute to their communities, um, to do better. And if my own personal experience serves as some form of motivation and ability to connect people with that second chance and opportunity to do better for themselves and their families and for this country, then there will be some good that has come of that. And I'm, I'm committed to doing good. that. Yeah. Uh, everybody line up. We're going to go to questions. My last thing for you is I was thinking this morning, what's something I've never asked Congressman O'Rourke in all the years I've interviewed him, and it occurred to me I've never asked you about your dad. Yeah. Your dad was a county judge. Absolutely, yep. And he died tragically uh, in a bicycle accident in 2001. Yeah. Right? Uh, he was a great public servant by all accounts. Everybody in El Paso who talks about him talks about him reverentially for his public service. Yeah. What's the thing that you take away from his life as a public servant that informs your life as a public servant? Oh, yeah. You know, he, he, um, 
absolutely loved life. And uh, sorry, that's all right. Uh, you know, just just loved people, loved loved his family, and and gave it everything uh, that he could. And um, uh, was such joy to be around, and was such a big influence to me in my life. And um, you know, ne- never really cared what what anybody else thought. He he was always so focused on doing what he thought was important or the right thing. And there was a joy that came out of that that I wish I, I wish I could I could find in my life, and I and I seek to do that. Um, but sorry, it's all right. But we missed him. We missed him. Yeah, thanks. Let's, that's that. okay. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's all right. Look, we're all humans. Yeah. Let's go to where that we forget that sometimes, right? Ma'am. Yes. Hi, my name is Kat Harris. I'm with Elizabeth Christian Public Relations. I'm a big fan of yours, and I know you talk about strengthening ties with Mexico yeah. and that our border is more secure now than ever. Um, I agree with you, however, playing devil's advocate here, what would you say about the opioid crisis and um, Mexican drug cartels bringing contributing to this? What is your strategy? Is this a problem? Do you accept the premise that this is a problem? Yeah, I I accept the premise that this is a problem. And as long as we continue the war uh, war on drugs and treat these issues as uh, matters of criminal law and continue to have uh, the world's largest prison population, bar none, and continue to criminalize those who use marijuana uh, despite the fact that 30 other states have made it legal in one form or other. Um, we are going to continue to have these problems. If we can end the war on drugs, if we can lift the prohibition on marijuana, if we can get people help that they need to recover from their addictions, we're going to have less suffering, we're going to have better outcomes, we're going to spend those law enforcement dollars more effectively, and we're going to have a better chance of those illegal drugs being trafficked into this country in the first place. So it's absolutely a concern and a problem. There are some very logical, rational, compassionate ways uh, to meet that problem. And again, in talking with folks across Texan, Texas, Republicans and Democrats, uh, I find that so many of them are already there. And they're just waiting for those in these, uh, in these offices to, to, to get on the train. So that's the way that I would begin to, to, to meet that challenge uh, and to make sure that we help those, those folks out. So thanks for asking the question. Sir. Yeah. Hi, my name is uh, Joseph Mabry. I'm a student at University of Texas at San Antonio, and I wanted to ask you about uh, race relations in the United States, specifically removing Confederate monuments. If yep. you walk up like right to the tower, there's a bunch of missing statues that used to be Confederate monuments. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to w- wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, um, take the rest of them down everywhere across this country. Um, what is, what is, what specifically? Take down statues, rename schools. I mean, every last vestige of the Confederacy eradicated. So Fort Bliss, uh, home to 32,000 service members, the 1st Armored Division, uh, used to be uh, in El Paso, used to be a a cavalry outpost. And all the streets were named after uh, famous cavalry officers. Uh, And at one time, it was a Confederate uh, cavalry outpost because part of Texas. Um, and um, an enlightened commanding general uh, within the last four or five years began to rename 
all those streets, and they renamed Robert E. Lee Drive uh, Buffalo Soldier Drive. Uh, and, and I'd like to see that happen throughout the United States. Uh, those who were in open rebellion to the United States of America on the premise that some people were not equal to others and that they should be enslaved and that fighting for the institution of slavery was a worthwhile cause should not be remembered, certainly not in places of public honor. Uh, and so in these county courthouses, in these public institutions like UT Austin, in our capital here yep. in Austin, and I, and I thank Speaker Strauss for um, his courage and his leadership on this, uh, we got to make sure uh, that those, those places of public honor reflect our, our values and our interests and an accurate telling of history. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Ma'am. is about term limits. So, you know, we know that a lot of the effectiveness in Congress is built on relationships and that senior co congressmen and senators in particular have more sway. So how are you going to be able to effectively represent the people of Texas if you aren't willing to stay there long enough to sort of climb the ranks of leadership? This is the knock on term limits. Just when yeah. somebody is in a position to become effective, they know the place, they know the yeah. you say, kick them out. Yeah, this, this is an issue on which uh, people can come to different conclusions. And, and I respect um, the point of view that, that you're presenting. I, and I actually think... Um, that there's a strong case to be made for staying forever. I mean, when I was elected in my first term, uh, there was a gentleman who was finishing his 30th term in Congress. 60 years, one community had one face, voice, set of experiences and skills to apply to the issues before the, the House of Representatives. I mean, that's, that's one way to do it. Um, first of all, Amy would never let me do that. Uh, so um, that's, that's one reason. Um, I, I talked about earlier about having the, the faith and confidence in the people that you represent to, to do uh, as, as well as you can for a, a fixed short period of time and then to get out of the way. My favorite portrait um, to which I guide El Pasoans when they come to, to visit the Capitol and I'm giving them a tour is of General George Washington resigning his commission to the Continental Congress at the moment where he could have been general for life, dictator for life, and the country would have been there with him. We had just concluded an incredibly bloody war. We had enemies to our north, perceived enemy nations uh, to our west, the major superpower of the time uh, in the seas, uh, ready to invade again. Uh, and yet, he, he believed in, the, in this principle. And when he was elected president and re-elected, uh, voluntarily uh, sought, did not seek uh, a, a third term. I think that is one of the most incredibly important foundational principles of, of this country, that, that power is, is limited and that you are only temporarily occupying these, these positions of public trust and that they really belong to, to the people. And so if we really believe that, um, we've, we've got to walk the walk and we have to have a little bit of faith and confidence in each other. And yes, we have to be wary of some of the unintended consequences. And there are concerns that the bureaucracy becomes too powerful and that you lose um, you know, long-term operational memory in, in those who serve on these committees. But I, but I think that's a balance that we can get right in this country. And if we don't do it, and if, if that institution is not reflective of more Americans, uh, we're gonna have fewer people voting. Uh, and we're going, to, we're going to lose the democracy that we care so much about. So I think that, along with campaign finance reform and ending gerrymandering, are, are fundamental to getting our democracy back. Good. Thanks for asking the question.
Congressman, you just complimented Speaker Strauss, who is a Republican. You're also known for your friendship with Will Hurd, who is a Republican. How do you respond to an electorate that has embraced hyperpartisanship right. and populism? At, not just in your campaign, but also if you become an elected senator. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it's, um, it turns out that the only way you can get anything done in a Republican majority House of Representatives is to work with a Republican. Uh, and so um, when, when you know, I mentioned this, this crisis in, in suicide amongst veterans, if, if, if you're a veteran who has an other than honorable discharge, and it may be that when you were fighting in Vietnam or in Afghanistan, um, you incurred post-traumatic stress disorder or military sexual trauma or a traumatic brain injury that may have contributed to your other than honorable discharge, you are twice as likely to take your own life only because of your other than honorable discharge. You can't set foot in a VA and see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a, a therapist. So I wrote a bill called the Honor Our Commitment Act. But, but writing a bill as a Democrat and only as a Democrat is like a tree falling in the forest with no one there yep. to hear it. This doesn't matter, didn't happen. And there was a colleague of mine on the committee, Mike Kaufman, Republican of Colorado, who I knew also cared about this issue, wrote a, a, a different bill with a little bit of different uh, conditions on who could get in to the VA. We sat down, and this is so rare, you'd like to think it happens all the time, it almost never happens. We sat down at a table across from each other with our staffs and, and rewrote a compromised piece of legislation that met the goals that each of us had, introduced it to the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and it passed unanimously, Republican and Democrat alike. It's now on its way to the floor of the House where I'm confident it will pass. The companion legislation introduced by Chris Murphy, Senator from, uh, Rhode Island, uh, from Connecticut, uh, has al already passed, and I think this is one that we can get the President to sign. So we can hold our breath in our corner and hope that things get better. Uh, if we just wait enough time, or we can get after it right now and make things better while we have the opportunity. Work with anyone, anytime, including anywhere the, with what we have. Including the president, Congressman? Are including you the president, You're comfortable with the, yeah. with the president working with the le Democratic leaders of Congress and them working with him? Yeah. We, we've, we've, while we have the opportunity, um, we have to do everything we can with it to make the lives of those that we represent better. And so I'm going I'm to continue to do that. Got it. Yeah. Sir. Okay, so in recent years, conservatives have co-opted, sorry, conservatives have co-opted um, to a certain but substantial effect um, the issue of civil rights by promoting school choice policies, which, in, uh, which quite frankly is a highly questionable claim. But using your, your all communities multiple times over strategy, which values and ideologies do you plan to claim ownership of that are currently claimed to be owned by conservatives like fiscal efficiency, accountability, individual liberty? How will you do that in their own backyards? Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, I'll get, give you another anecdote that I, that I hope helps to, to provide the answer. Uh, we were in uh, Port Lavaca, and um, I met a guy named Dave who uh, lost his boat, uh, which was also his home, uh, that was now sunk to the bottom of, of the harbor. Uh, and he was living with friends, uh, and he was listening to Sean Hannity on the radio in the truck where he had all his personal belongings. And he said, uh, as I introduced myself to him, told him what I was trying to do, uh, he said, you know what, I, I, I never thought I believed in government. Uh, I took uh, unemployment once for a total of $37 and, and then never asked for help again. It's just me on this boat that's now at the bottom of the harbor um, and uh, living as independently as I can. Um, but as we were talking, he said, I, I now need some help. 
uh, I need Texas, I need this country to be here for me. He needs FEMA. He needs to be able to get back on his feet. He needs to be able to raise that boat. He needs to be able to live again the life that he wants to lead. And, and so that value of being there for each other, uh, and, and I wish I could express it um, uh, more eloquently, uh, is, is something that we as Texans totally own. We saw it in the aftermath of Harvey. These volunteer firefighters in Rockport, eight of whom had lost their home out of a total force of 20, each one of them still responding to calls day in and day out because they cared about each other. I, I think that's what we represent, we, everyone who's part of this campaign, in what we want to do. But is that a, cons- I think that the question is, is that a conservative right. value or virtue that you would then be taking a taking ownership of on your so, campaign? So, San Antonio, Texas, we're meeting with some folks uh, in, in a group called NAMI, National Association for the Mentally Ill. They're telling me about a friend who has untreated schizophrenia. Because he doesn't have health insurance, can't see a doctor, turns himself into the ER room in one hospital 40 times over the course of a given month, where they can at best stabilize him, probably not meaningfully reduce his suffering, certainly not allow him to live to his full potential. The cost to the taxpayers in Bear County for one month's treatment of one untreated schizophrenic in one one ER room is $90,000. If you want to talk about fiscal responsibility, if we have Medicare for all, universal health care, the cost to take care of that person drops precipitously. His outcomes go through the roof, and we do better for each other. So we can claim life, we can claim fiscal responsibility, we can claim doing right by each other, we can claim effective governance. Um, all of those are our Texas values, all of those are things that we're finding and learning along the way. So, um, so I don't know, I, I, I hate to talk in, in, in party labels uh, and yeah. uh, in conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. Those, those are just good Texas common sense values that, that I have found good. along the way and would love to represent in the Senate. Thanks for asking. Thank you. Yes. Um, we are, I'm afraid, one question away from being out of time because I want to be sure that you all don't get stuck in a long line at the food trucks, right? Yeah. Uh, 10 past 12, last question, sir. All right, hi, I'm Connor Crowley from El Paso, Texas, here with We Fill in the Blank. Right on. Um, and These Coronado High School kids are badass, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, we are, yeah. Is that Gary Berglund in the back of the, of the auditorium? Yeah, yeah, right on. He's there, yeah. 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 Um, well, being considered a uh, young member of Congress, do you experience greater engagement by youth following in your footsteps, or do you expect to see this uh, younger population come forth now? Good, good last question. Yesterday, uh, we, we had a great uh, event, and, and thanks to Seth Krasny and others who, who were there who helped to organize it at UT Austin. Um, two days before that, we had an evening event at SMU. Earlier that day at UT Dallas. Before that, we were in Fort Worth at, at TCU. Uh, again, this is why we don't have consultants and pollsters. They, they would never in a million years allow us to appear on these college campuses because, of course, young people don't vote. But, but I would say that young people don't vote because people like me typically in the past have not been showing up and giving them a reason to vote. So, so we're showing up just like we go to all these different communities. We're going to these, these college campuses. We're going to Coronado High School uh, to, to Gary Berglund's class because everyone is important. No one should be written off. No one can be taken for granted if we're going to get this state and this country back. And so, yes, your voice and those of other younger people is just as important as anyone else's. And I want to hear it and incorporate what you have to say into this campaign and how we serve this state from the U.S. Senate. So thanks for asking. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Congressman, thank you, thank for doing you very this. much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Give Congress for yeah. their work thank a big hand. Thank you all very, very much. Very, very grateful. Right. Thank you. Sorry I got so emotional, man. I just, it like hit me like a ton of bricks.